this week's episode of the Dealing with CQ Leadership Podcast, I talk to John Sane, co-host of the Expansive Podcast. You'll remember the Expansive Podcast from last week where I hosted Eric Kruger. John is a keynote speaker, an entrepreneur, a futurist, a consultant, and a five-time best-selling author. He helps organizations to prepare for the future through focusing on neuroscience, leadership, company culture, strategy, and artificial intelligence. We have a really, really interesting conversation. John talks about coming back from bankruptcy. When he was in his 30s, he was super successful. He had restaurants, he had the houses, he had the cars, but then he went bankrupt. He talks about his journey back from bankruptcy to building himself back to the man he is today. We talk about emotional intelligence, we talk about artificial intelligence and how that's going to play in with humans and EQ. We also talk about reconciling with family members. John and his dad didn't talk for over 20 years and then last year they went on a holiday together after John decided to reach back out. It's a really, really rich episode. I really enjoyed my conversation and John has a super challenging mindset so I really, really enjoyed talking to him. I'm Tolu. I'm the host of the Dynamo CQ Leadership Podcast. I started this podcast to help you learn how to lead yourself and others better with emotional intelligence. We do this through storytelling, through hearing the stories and the journeys of people who are great leaders, people who lead with emotional intelligence. And from that, we can learn, we can grow, and we can make ourselves better. I know you're going to love this episode, and I'll see you next time. Sure, 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 sure. So emotional intelligence is such a big subject and really only started becoming famous in the early 2000s. I mean, before that, nobody... John, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining. It's great to have you on today. My absolute pleasure. Great to be here with you. So I had Eric on yesterday. Um, so oh, did you? Oh, did you? Oh, did you? Expansive series. Ah, Eric, Eric. Yeah, yeah. Puffy face Eric. <laughs> yeah, he was a puffy face. <laughs> <laughs> it was in the afternoon. So he's ah, that's him. funny. Yeah, his model look kicked in. Yes, yes, yes that's right. Yes, yes, yes. that's right. Um, yeah. So in case you haven't already figured it out, John is the other half of the expansive podcast um, so a really good podcast about expansive leadership so it's a real honor to have have you guys on the show so john Thank would you. you mind telling the guys a little bit about yourself yeah sure i am a speaker strategist author lecturer uh, also entrepreneur i've got a business or two here and there at all times i'm always like trying something or doing something but my fascination has always been future focused yeah and uh, from about 15 years ago it started becoming more and more of my life. And in my 20s, I had restaurants and retail mm. stores. I went bankrupt. So for the first five years of my 30s, I was in a bit of a depression. I don't know if I was coming or going. I'd lost my sort of purpose. Mm. You said you were 34 eh? and uh, yeah. you're also now beginning a new journey. It's kind of like me. I was also like, like trying to figure it out, except I was bankrupt. So I had a bit of a depression mm. happening because I'd lost everything. So I went on this personal development quest and really dug deep into my psyche and um, was always fascinated with the future and started like an innovation agency. And that innovation agency morphed and I developed certain sort of like uh, principles and theories. And I started explaining these to clients and eventually those just became talks. And mm. I started giving them as talks and those talks became books and the books became bestsellers. And I became faculty at Singularity Amazing. at Duke. And then I became an associate partner of Copenhagen Institute of Future Studies I then I've written, uh, I've authored and co-authored nine books. I'm on my 10th one right now. Wow. And, you know, I failed school. You know, I was useless at school. Really? Like, I, yeah, useless. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, pathetic. I would, like, do everything not to be at school. I yeah. failed everything. I looked for any reason not to go. I was just pathetic. I, but I also realized, you know, the schooling system is built for 
25% of the human population. The other 75 yeah. squeeze themselves into these logis- logical, analytical ways of thinking. And my mm. brain doesn't work like that, right? So mm. Mm. Um, uh, what is very fascinating to me is I'm an academic in some ways. Yeah. And I never studied. I've never been to university. I hardly passed high school. And it's just, you know, self-taught. Yeah. Because I love amazing. the subject. Yeah, exactly. So, so what's that's, it. that's what I do. About? Sorry? Oh. What's book number 10 about? Um, so... Let, actually, I, I was going to finish another part of the, the previous question was, and it will lead into this, is yeah. I initially started talking about the future, very excited about curating drones and, you know, blockchain, mm. all these things. And 15 years ago, 10 years ago, this was very exciting for people. But I also slowly but surely realized that nobody was changing their behavior, even though they were very engaged in the talk. My talks were doing well, but mm. hardly anybody was changing behavior. So I really started to combine my self-development process that I went through when I went bankrupt, I combined self-development and psychology into trying to overcome your own victim thinking, legacy thinking, Mm. drama Mm. triangles, that sort of thing, to try and Mm. get excited about the future and engage with it more curiously. Mm. But, you know, even after doing that, I just realized that wasn't working because with neuroscience, which is now the thing that we have to be doing, which neuroscience rewires your brain, where psychology updates the software, It's a very different process. And where we are in the world today, we can't rely on psychology and software anymore because it's not good enough, actually, with the amount of change that's happening. And the analogy I always use is, imagine trying to put iOS 16 into an iPhone 1. It wouldn't have the capacity to hold this much disruption, this much change, this much need for adaptability. So what we have to do now, and what I do now is I speak about futures, I speak about AI, but then I talk about it in neuroscience terms of how we need to actually evolve our neuroscience to access new types of creativity, to become new versions of ourselves, to increase our awareness, so we start to see new solutions in new ways that we otherwise could not have done. But without that neuroscience angle, it doesn't matter what you do, you can't break out of the cycle, it's just too strong. And so the practice is how quickly can you unlearn, like rewire your brain? And two, how quickly can you change your awareness? How quickly Mm. can you change your thinking? And Mm. the quicker you can do that, the more adaptable you are, the more you'll engage with the future in a more fascinated way. Mm. That's that's so interesting, the concept of rewiring versus kind of updating. So what are some of the things that you talk about at a really high level in terms of how people can engage with rewiring the brain as opposed to updating it? So updating it used to be going to therapy and talking through things, reading right. a Brenner Brown book and doing a workshop around it and taking it to heart. And, and, and look, I did this for years, but then my triggers wouldn't really go away. I was yes. better when I wasn't triggered. But when yes. I was triggered, I was back to square one. Interesting. And you start to realize that the actual triggers are so deeply entrenched into our brains that all the psychology in the world, all the software in the world just doesn't penetrate it in a mm. certain way, you know? Mm. And as we move more into an uncertain future, we have to think about the actual neuroscience, which is the bottom of it. That's the okay. first thing. The mm. second thing we have to do is meditate because with meditation, you move yourself from a high beta brainwave, which is about safety, stress, anxiousness, uh, addicted to certainty. You move mm. it into alpha brainwave and in an alpha brainwave, you're creative, you're lateral, you're relaxed, you're hyper-focused, hyper-energized, but you're very calm. Yeah. And they've actually recently, I was re-listening to a podcast and they're talking about the fact that alpha brainwaves is the same frequency as nature and earth. Which- That's really interesting because, you know, you're talking about almost like our hustle culture that we have. Yes. Because yes. when I kind of look through like what you do, you know, you're going all over the world pretty regularly. You're meeting lots of different people. You're doing lots of things. So on the yeah. surface, it can look a little bit like hustle culture. When I talk to you, there's just this very like 
calm like the ocean <laughs> you know so it's really interesting how do you balance those two things well you know i love moving mm. i love seeing people but i'm on planes i'm a, i meditate I, okay. I can meditate for hours on a plane mm. and i've called myself a um urban monk uh, it's like I'm 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 an advanced meditator. I'm, I meditate yeah. hours a day, and okay. I I really look after myself to keep myself centered. And I'm constantly yeah. having coaching sessions, and so I'm very much on that sort of trip. So in all the busyness, I'm very centered. And mm. wherever I'm going, I have an altar. Um, I have a very deep practice, and that keeps me centered. So mm. whether I'm uh, sitting in one place or sitting in another within two weeks. Mm. I, I, I love the adventure. I love the moving. I love seeing different cultures. I also love mm. doing what I do mm. because I arrive, they're excited to see me. I finish my talk. They're excited that I was there. That I've got mm. new friends now in Jordan and in Qatar wow. and in Saudi and then, you know, just name it. So and I've got all these people yeah. I'm friends with on Instagram. Next time I go, it's like, Hey, it's just a beautiful global community of people that are just wanting to improve. And I think mm. I bring some sort of simplicity to something quite complex around mm. just evolving ourselves for the future. Mm. There's, there's definitely something so true about that because when I listened to a couple of your episodes, there was a, a process that you talked about with triggers and emotional intelligence, and mm. it was just such like a clear, a clear way to explain it. So I'd love yeah. you to talk a little bit more about that as sure. well that you kind of went through. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. So <clears throat> emotional intelligence is such a big subject and really only started becoming famous in the early 2000s. I mean, before that, nobody about emotional <laughs> intelligence. It's like, do your work, shut up. You know, kids don't want to be, don't be heard. Keep yeah. in the corner. Yeah. You know, it's only like post 2000, we're like, hang on a second. Can we just be kind and like, you know, yes. try something new? And um, so there's so many different descriptions about it. But I think the most concise description I've ever seen is... Your emotional intelligence is determined exactly by mm. how long it takes you to get over a trigger. Yes. And that's a very, it's, that's one measurement. Another measurement is if you think about somebody and you still don't like them after years of not liking them, it means that you haven't evolved. Mm. And it oh, means wow. that you're exactly the same person you were 10 years ago. Mm. The way you measure evolving is who have you forgiven and who have you gotten over and who are you sorry yeah. to and who are you moving yeah. on to. Yeah. And both of these are trigger points. And mm. the longer you stay in a loop, the lower your emotional intelligence because emotional intelligence adds up to the fact of adaptability because you're not mm. stuck to the past. You're not triggered yeah. into a mood yeah. that doesn't allow you access to your heart and creativity and mm. all these things, you know? Mm. So if you are in a trigger for like, a week or so, you're just in a bad mood. Mm. And if you're in a trigger for one to two to three weeks, you have a bad temperament. Mm. But if you're in that trigger for longer than a month, welcome to your new personality because now your, your personality is based on a trigger. Mm. And think about Donald Trump. He's just triggered. Yeah, and the poor the guy, time. all of his billions, all of his power, is just constantly yeah. triggered. Yes. And if you think about how many people out there are constantly angry, constantly mm. sad, constantly mm. anxious, constantly, mm. what, what's happened? They got mm. triggered they weren't able mm. to cr get out of the trigger. The neuroscience now is patterned into that persona, pers personality. You're mm. stuck now in a loop. Mm. And as my teacher says, he says, people become addicted to lives they don't even like. And so now <laughs> all of a sudden, people are in repetition mode. They don't yes. even know why. And they don't even know how to get out of it. And when you try and get them, help them to come out of it, they fight for it because it's familiar. Yeah. And so now what does that mean? It means you're not adaptable to the future. It means you're stuck to the past, which means you're going to become irrelevant. 
That's quite simply it. Mm. Simple. That, that, what you said about they fight it, are there any ways that you found effective to get people to stop fighting it or to get them to see that there's another option? Because sometimes it feels like they're so familiar with it now that that's all they can see. So what's been effective in terms of helping people to get out of that? I find that to not to tell them to get out of it is the first thing. Okay. Uh, that's the first thing. The second okay. thing is you need to make it a learning exercise for you both to come to the same conclusion that okay. it is a pattern that they're repeating. So you need okay. to watch something together and mm. go, wow, are you, are you telling me my irritation is a pattern? Are you telling me I mm. look for things to make me sad? Actually, nothing out there is making me sad. I'm projecting sadness on something going, oh, there's mm. so much sadness. Mm. I'm not seeing yeah. sadness. Why are you seeing sadness? So all of that is just a pattern that our bodies have become used to having. So we look for it everywhere we go. Mm. And so if you come to that learning together by watching something together and workshop it, the understanding comes and then you make a, you make a, a contract with each other and say, look, if you catch me doing that, please remind me. Mm. And then now mm. it becomes a game. And now mm. you can start to catch each other and rewire. So is that something, because you know you mentioned about, you know, don't tell them that it's kind of there. Is that something don't. they have to almost, is they, do they <laughs> have to realize it themselves and then come yeah, to Yeah, because you? what you're doing, no, but what you're doing is you're not giving any context and any learning. You're just highlighting right. a point when they're being triggered, which is not fair, because yeah. when you're triggered, you're not a nice guy. <laughs> and you're not willing to engage yeah. openly yeah. and hear somebody else's, you you you're in it, you know, you're like you're yeah. in it now. Like you've got to get yourself out of it and then come back yeah. to some sort of level of normality. Okay. okay. And when it becomes a, a, a game that you're holding each, each other accountable, then mm. it's like, hey, 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 I see you there. Oh, uh, come back, come back. You could even <laughs> name the trigger. And I've also held, seen that's pretty helpful. Mm. It's like that you can give it a name. It's like, hey, that's mm. Tony. Uh, mm. Hey, Tony, Tony, mm. calm down, bro. Calm down, sit down, sit down. <laughs> you know? That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. You talk a lot about the future and AI. What I'd be really interested in is how do you think AI kind of will influence or interact with emotional intelligence? Because that's a very human thing. So I wonder how do you think the two are gonna come together and interplay? The sad fact is that AI doesn't need to be conscientious or conscious to understand what mm. empathy is on a logical mm. level mm. and engage with us in the most, because it's got infinite patience. It's True. playing an infinite game. <laughs> We're not playing an infinite game. Yeah. So it has infinite patience with us and the reason this has become quite obvious to me is that I was reading something about we're moving from an experience economy to a transformational economy to an intimacy economy. So what does this mean? It means experience yeah. economy is about the experience, right? So you go into a hotel, there's a nice smell, the lighting's mm. right, the weather's mm. right. They create this five cents tick mm. box. Everything's mm. great. The second thing that's now becoming a thing is a transformational economy. In other words, like Burning Man or like CrossFit or a Dr. Joe Dispenza retreat or these things sell out in five minutes. What's going mm. on there is that you arrive at point, you arrive at person A, you leave at person Y. And what's happened is you've transformed as a mm. human being. And right. so now those are becoming the experiences because experience sitting by a pool, eating another hot dog, another GNT, like, I don't know how many more times yeah. do I need to I do this. Do I need to do yeah. something to evolve. Like yeah. I keep just repeating. Well, unless you, mm addicted to familiarity, then that becomes yeah. a great thing that you're aiming at, which is boring as hell. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, should I forgot what we're talking about? So intimacy. We're talking about? intimacy. Uh, so a transformational economy. So we yeah. went from experience to transformational. Now what's coming is the intimacy economy. So what is the intimacy right. economy? The intimacy economy is Siri and the likes will mm. become your best friend soon. 
Because mm. what will start happening is they'll have access to your cards, they'll have access to your Google Maps, they'll have access to everything you're doing. And so eventually you can say, look, just phone my barber and book me a thing. Just find out if there's space, then go online and book it for me because I must be an online thing. You don't even have to phone them. So the AI is going to get to know you so well, it's going to start suggesting things to you. And in that suggestion, it can direct you and become very intimately involved with you because it's gotten to know you so intimately. So when you talk about emotional intelligence and AI, you got to understand that it's going to arrive into our lives at such a helpful, yeah. friendly patient hmm. it's going to drill us at emotional intelligence i mean it's going to have us <laughs> wrapped about its finger are you kidding me do you I mean it'll be yeah. real intimacy though or it's just like it knows the data and it talks to me like it knows me but is it actually real intimacy well i know you know your experience of your brain you know they say that people that are getting a gift or people that are imagining getting a gift the same part of the brain's waking up so right like what's intimacy? How do you feel? Do you have endorphins running and do you have like mm. dopamine? And so you're telling me that when a kid gets a skin for um, a game that he's playing or she's mm. playing, that's the same part of your brain lights up when somebody gets a physical gift. True. So now which gift is valid? Both are valid wow. because of what it means to them. So it's yeah. intimate to you and intimate to me are very different. It sounds like we're heading towards every AI movie that I've ever seen in, in my life. I think we have to change awareness as quickly as possible. I think we don't know the potential we have. Mm. I know that, not I know, I've just, from all I've listened to and all I've read, there are advanced civilizations out there, very advanced. We are very low on the spectrum of intelligence when it comes to what I believe is out there. And mm. so I think the potential we have, we haven't even tapped into and so we have to start becoming more conscientious and conscious. We have to start engaging with our heart, not our brain only. And I think mm. that will give us a new approach. Because if mm. you think back to the agricultural era, when the steam engine arrived, everybody thought it was over. Like, what mm. was I going to do if my physicality wasn't used? And so yeah. here we are thinking, what am I going to do if my intelligence isn't going to be used? Because we don't know. Mm. So what do we have to do is get our awareness into a state that knows and explores so that we can find mm. that out. So is AI going to disrupt us currently? Absolutely. That's why we have to Absolutely. evolve. Did the steam engine mm. evolve us? Absolutely. You're not a farmer. Absolutely. Nobody is. <laughs> so then why would you want to not have that? Yeah. So yes, I think, I think it's, it's scary. But if you're not evolving, it's scary. That's the only thing. It's If you're not evolving, it's very scary. Where, where do you think is that next step for us? Because I understand that AI can help us in so many ways. I understand that if we know how to use it well, then it will help us. What I think I might be seeing though is people becoming more lazy because of AI as opposed to, okay, I can use this time to think of something different. So what is that awareness and that evolution that you think would be helpful for us as humans as we enter into this new, new age? I think initially what you do is you make more, your tasks more efficient because yes. that's what we've been taught. We haven't yes. been taught creativity, we've been taught no. efficiency. Yes. So we yeah. are applying. Let me let me give you this example. Do you know one of the first TV ads ever was in the 1930s for Barbie? Do you know what the ad was? The guy reading the radio ad on film. Ah. Do you get? Yeah. Do you understand the media yes. being used in a yeah. infant? Like you didn't understand the potential of the media. Yeah. Yeah. So all you, you did was take the existing different. media, yeah. film it. And then yeah. put it on like 
now you think about it, it's like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't know better. Yeah. So, so now what you're saying is people are becoming lazy. Yes, initially, you'll mm. use it for what you know and bring efficiencies mm. to what you know. You mm. haven't had a chance to actually now start to use it in brand new ways. So that's the first thing we must think about. I think mm. we must also, again, just keep relating back to what's happened and who we are today is a result of many of these patterns that have already mm. happened. Mm. But also, like, you know, it's going to take time for us to start to evolve in this new yeah. way. And mm. we have to be patient with the process. We mm. don't know what it's going to look like yet, you know. Mm. But also remember that critical thinking, is, is it necessary in a world where critical thinking is commoditized? And if we stop using critical thinking as a point of intelligence and tap into more of an emotional intelligence, even though we don't understand it yet, but there could be other types of intelligence that we right. don't understand, so we boo-boo it, right? So we mm. think, well, mm. if you can't uh, uh, write an essay about a subject, then you mm. don't really understand it. Do you need to know the roadmap to where you're going later? No, use Google Maps. Who cares? Yeah. Like, it's an irrelevant thing. Yeah. yeah. So it's an irrelevant thing to understand that. Maybe we have to understand something else. Mm. And again, you understand people from familiarity panic about these things. They're like, oh, mm. we're losing it. Our kids don't have to write essays anymore. What's going to happen? <laughs> ChatGPT? Oh, my God, it's all falling apart. Well, was it that important? I don't know. Maybe True. there's other ways of doing it. True. So thinking about it from the other side then, how do you think AI can help humans in growing in things like emotional intelligence? So I'm not scared of it. I'm happy with it. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, it just depends which way it goes. You know, I don't know which way it's going to go. Nobody knows which way it's going to go. We could mm. be in a... So look, I mean, if you, if you think about an AI that you can coach and give parameters to that is able to be pointing you towards keeping you accountable, moving you in the right direction, feeding you the right food, just mm. doing it on a very A-grade scale and you can program it like that and work with it like that, I think it can really help you a lot. If it's got its own agendas and it's becoming mm. intimate with us and asking us to eat different things and give us different, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know which way it's going to go. I have no idea. Um, I would love to have that assistant that I am intimate with that understands me really well because imagine mm. like, you know, uh, John, I know you watched the Otto, uh, a man called Otto. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but it's a fantastically brilliant movie mm -hmm. with Tom Hanks. I highly recommend it. But um, imagine you could say, "Look, there's another movie. It's just like that. We love. I know you cried. I saw you there. I would love that. Why wouldn't I like that? It just <laughs> makes me better. Makes me better. Yeah. So I'm not scared of it. I'm happy with it. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, it just depends which way it goes. You know, I don't know which way it's going to go. Nobody knows which way it's going to go. We could mm. be in a show soon. You know, I don't know. Like what? Mm. And then. Just have as much fun as you can, dude. You never know, you know? That's it. Yeah. I yeah. hope if it goes that way, it's long after I'm not here anymore. That's that's just my hope that if it does go in a bad well, way. Well, I mean, even if it does, dude, I mean what? And then like so then so then we, we clock out of this TV game and we clock into another one. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what's gonna happen. We'll have another avatar somewhere else. True. Very true. Very true. Yeah. So I'd love to go back a bit into your story um mm. and about how you developed in leadership. So especially you mentioned you had some restaurants, you built this mm. life and then it all kind of crashed. So mm. you mentioned about some of the things that briefly that you did in rebuilding yourself. So mm. I'd love to understand a little bit more about that and how that helped you to grow into who you are today. Show soon, you know, I don't know, like what? Mm. And then I started off with meditation. I remember the night I got an email that I knew my bankruptcy was about to begin. And that night I started meditating and okay. Um, I then began a, a journey of body healing through Reiki and kinesiology and body a tap, a body tap, what? Anyway, tapping body and tapping. 
Yeah, body talk, body talk, okay. tapping, body talk. And then I went into workshopping, therapy, listening to audiobooks, Tao Te Ching, doing meditation retreats, silent retreats, men's circles. I mean, I'm just, I flat out, that is my holiday. That's my routine. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm continuously doing this work because every layer relieves me of some trauma, some uh, edginess, some memory that's still sore. And it'll never stop because it's part and parcel of my life and, and, and part of my um, recreation, actually. It's part of my recreation. That's the holidays I go on. Mm. And um, so it's a continuous process. And, you know, the more you can bring coherence to your brain and your heart, the more centeredness you have, the mm. better decisions you make and mm. the more conscious everybody is projecting back to your own echo and the responsibility you can take to that. Why would you not want to keep doing that and see more of that and engage with it in a more positive way and uplift it and then be okay when you're down, not try and get out of it and be okay in those processes and be moody, have the ice cream. It's okay. And then keep moving, you know, and I think it's, it's that process of symbiosis. And again, it comes down to alpha brainwaves. It just creates a very soft ride. It sounds like you enjoy doing the work. Was it always that way? Or did it kind of evolve into that? Because I think when a lot of people think about I'm going to go to therapy, or I'm going to do the work, it sounds quite daunting, but it sounds like you enjoy it. Well, I understand that every memory that we have is a subjective story we have created to develop an identity that is us today. Mm. When you mm. see your brain structure like that, you realize that all the work that you're doing is rearranging, recalibrating your memories, mm. which means that you just soften your memory towards love, not towards bitterness. In fact, you have entrenched ideas of bitterness and anger with the world already into your subconscious that you're not accessing. So you don't understand why you repeat certain patterns or mm. you keep repeating certain addictions. Mm. And the more of this work you do, the more you soften your memories. And mm. as you start to do that, your future becomes a lot more accessible and fun. And and mm. look, I'm not always like this. You know, I've just gone through a very rough period, a breakup, a relationship. I mean, I've had a very rough time. I'm starting to come out of it now again. Mm. But, you know, I've just been through a rough time. So even when I do the work, I know that I'm still going to mm. go through the rough times. But my approach is softer. It's not so scolding. It's not so impatient. It's mm. It's a very different approach. So it mm. doesn't solve everything. It solves mm. the way you ride the carpet. The carpet's still going mm. up and down. Mm. So, you know, you mentioned about it's softer. So is that the inner voice that you talk to yourself that you're talking about in terms of that being softer, that being less scolding? Well, if you're in a high beta brainwave, your body, your brain is constantly telling you you're not good enough. You're fat, you're ugly, you've done not enough, done enough. And in that brain of beta, what you're doing is you're protecting yourself constantly. So you're having conversations, fictitious, fictitious conversations in your head with somebody. You're arguing with them, but actually what you're doing is you're projecting your insecurity into their voice. Their voice is speaking back to your own insecurity about yourself and you're arguing against it. And so the minute I started wow. to realize that, I mean, that's like... You know, ninja, internal, psyche, based on survival. Mm. But the minute you move into alpha brainwave, that voice goes away. And in fact, the voice becomes one of very regard. Like, I love you. You know, like, I respect you. I love you. I trust you. I am who I am. That's more than enough. These are the, these are the, these are the um, obvious internal dialogues that I'm having. If I'm not sleeping or if something's going on, those become my internal mantras. And that softens you. It calms your heart and clears your mind. And 
yeah, these things are changing as you soften yourself. You soften in every mm. aspect, your internal dialogue, your external dialogue, just jaggedness goes away. Mm. Why? Mm. Because your impatience has gone away. Why? Because mm. you're not on a high beta brainwave. Mm. So simple as that. Change your brainwave and then it all sorts itself out. What does what does an adaptable person look like in terms of if you could describe an adaptable person, what does that look like in a personality? Uh, having strong opinions held loosely. Mm. And somebody asks questions inquisitively, even if they mm. don't agree with what you're saying. Mm. But keep mm. being inquisitive about the questions. Like, but why do you think that? Where did mm. that come from? Okay, that's mm. interesting. And then, mm. oh, okay, that's interesting. Okay, not, I don't agree with you. And... I, I think it should be like this. No, wait, wait, mm. listen, listen to me. No, that's not being adaptable. <laughs> Adaptability yeah. doesn't mean you need to agree. It means mm. that you take in information. Mm. It's being agile in your optimism, not fragile in your optimism. You know, when you're mm. fragile in your right. optimism, you don't get your way. You become a sulky child. Agile yeah. is my behavior is like, okay, I'm going to listen to you. Okay, well, like, what do you mean? Okay, okay, I see what you're saying. I also mm. know that most people's negativity is based on some trauma that they have. So when I see that and you understand that all of us carry trauma, then mm. there would never be a prison system. There'd be a healing system because anybody mm. who's causing any doubt, they're just traumatized. They don't want to be causing. Mm. They've just been, it's been terrorized and frustrated generation after generation. And they're carrying all these flippant energetic streams. And so we've just got to be in that sort of state of being empathetic. And when you are like that, you're adaptable because that's mm. what adaptability means. Mm. Mm. I really like what you said about being more empathetic and trying to mm. bring that healing into other people because mm. you, when you just think back, there are so many traumatic things that happen to people um, mm. as they go through life and everybody mm. is dealing with that in every situation mm. that we're going into. Mm. So the empathy, mm. I think, is, is really, really important. But look, empathy for them is one thing. Your responsibility to heal them is a whole other thing. Mm. I'm also not going to be empathetic to you constantly if you're going to be an asshole. Yeah. Like, you know, I've also got boundaries. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, okay, so what are you doing to sort it out? Oh, you're doing that. Okay, that's good. Great. Go yeah. for it. Let me know how it goes. Oh, you're yeah. not doing anything. You think there's nothing wrong with you? Okay, well, then I'm going to have to stop engaging with you because I'm not going to be able to sit here constantly dealing with your trigger. It's also my, not my job. How, how do you balance that in like a family dynamic, for example? So there might be some people where, you know, their parents have had trauma with backgrounds and that's expressing itself, but they're not necessarily doing the work. How do you do something like the boundaries that you're talking about with your parents, where it's like, that's my parents, you know, I love my parents. I want to be around them. They're there forever. So how does that, well, not forever, forever, but you get what I mean. How does that, how does that I, express? I think it's a learning exercise again with you and your family. You've got to, you've got to get all your family together to listen to a pod or share it on the family group and keep sending it and keep sharing it and keep sharing it. And so the language starts becoming a shared language. And if you've got mm. a shared language, you can start to hold each other accountable in soft ways. Mm. My mom and I are very good like that. You know, we understand the trigger. It's coming. We understand, like there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a new way to argue, which is, mm. oh, I see your trigger. Not that. But if you can't combine language, it's a very, very difficult thing to do. Because if your parents are right. going left field and you're going right field and yeah. they're not adaptable and they're not willing to have some level of adaptability towards your learning together, mm. I think it's a very hard thing, you know, and. You don't always have to be friends with your family. Remember, you, you mm. they're family. They're not friends. They're, and mm. you, you can love them, but not like them. And that's okay. Okay. That's okay. Of course, it's okay. You don't, I mean, I'm not super close with my dad, dad, but we're good. Hi, what's happening? How are you doing? How's your health? Do you need anything? Okay, great. So, mm. Every three months. I mean, what? I, I, I didn't grow up with him. So what must I do? I mean, 
I'm cordial yeah. and we warm. I love him, but I don't know him. Yeah. Yeah. It's so such a um, tough balance though. That's a really tough balance, I think. I think as you get older it'll be easier, bro. You know, I'm forty eight. Okay. I've I've okay. almost moved into an alpha of my family now because I'm helping my parents and mm. I'm helping them make decisions. So I'm in a different mm. state to you. I imagine at your state, your parents still saw you at a young man. You know what I mean? Mm. You're a young man. Mm. So they kind of know better. Mm. Now that I'm like, I'm 50. I'm nearly 50. Like, I mean, I'm a man now. So like, I mean, <laughs> I can make decisions. I've been successful. People trust me. I'm the mm. oldest son. So I think mm. maybe we're coming at it from different uh, angles and different so ages. For me personally, my parents... So I have three sisters. So ever since we were like 16, 17, 18, they've treated us like, if I ask you a question, if I ask them a question, it's like, well, what do you think you should do? What is, what ah. is going on in the inside? Yeah. Mm. So I've had that kind of independence since nice. I was 18. Yeah. So I'm quite comfortable in terms of with my family, like we're nice. pretty good, you know, but I have, I do have a few friends and things like that, who that dynamic with their parents is a really tough one. And so that's, mm. that's where I'm, I'm asking you about it because mm. I've seen some of those behaviors that you're talking about where for me, they're quite foreign, if that makes sense. Cause yes. I don't really get triggered by my parents. Like, yeah. I yeah. would live with my parents. If I wasn't yeah. married, I'd for live every... with my parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love my parents. Uh, yeah, you know? yeah. Well, so, so you're still living at home, bro. No, no, no. So I'm married now. So. Oh, thank God. Yes, you yeah, said, yeah, so. Yeah. said so. I yeah, was yeah. going to tease you. I was <laughs> I was setting you up to tease you bigly, but I'm glad you said that. Good. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, 34 so. staying at home. I was like, come on, man. Come on. Well, like, That's, like not That's not good. That's not good. No, don't say that. You gotta, yeah. Anyway, I get it. But I get it. I get it. I yeah. get it. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's really asking for, because there are a lot of people that are struggling in that dynamic. So to yes. just, cause it's easy for me to say from a position where that's a secure, it's a secure place. It's a not, it's not a triggering space for me, but as someone who, it sounds like you've gone through some of those things, I'd yeah. love to hear from your perspective. Like, how did you get to that place? Even with your mum, where you mentioned, you know, now we have that shared language. Was that, yes. was there, was that a new thing or how did that, how did that come about? You know, um, there's a great line that says your actions are so loud. I can't hear a word you're saying. Mm. Mm. And as I was evolving in my journey, my mom started seeing changes in me, I guess. And she started becoming curious about what I was doing because I wasn't right. reacting and triggering in yes. old ways. Yes. And so she more, she like, and then YouTube obviously became a thing. And I started sharing it with some of the stuff I was listening to. She didn't like everything I shared with her, but she slowly started getting into the stuff I started getting into. And I mm. remember her coming to my first book launch and she was in the audience and I remember her looking at me in a very different way. Wow. I think she had realized that I'd like stepped into my manhood. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it was a very big success and there was hundreds of people there. And, and I remember my mom was, she, she, it shifted for her. Yes. Um, but with my dad, it's very interesting. You know, my, my, I got a stepdad that I love immensely and obviously and, and like immensely. Yeah. And he lives with my mom, but I have a, I have a real dad who lives in Iran. He's on his fourth marriage great guy. I just never grew up with him. It wasn't great mm. when we were mm. together, but I didn't speak to him for 20 years. You know, I was wow. just adamant in not having a relationship with him. I didn't need one because mm. I wasn't happy in the relationship. He wasn't happy with me. I wasn't happy with him. I was like, it was just, it was not worthwhile going there. But you know, I started meditating quite heavily two years ago and what started to happen. And this is an Einstein quote, and this really describes it perfectly. He said, the frequency of the, uh, sorry, the medicine of the future is the medicine of frequency. Mm. And what he meant by this is that we are all pockets of energy and information. 
This mm. information is created by our thoughts, actions, and feelings. Mm. And so what has happened is that when you're repeating your life based on triggers, you're not changing your frequency. But when yeah. you start to change your frequency because you've changed the way you think, act, and feel, the diseases mm. you had based mm. on that frequency fall off you because they're not relevant in the new frequency. And as you start to do this, your relationships start to heal without you trying to fix the relationship, but just by changing your frequency. Mm. So things sort themselves out by you changing your frequency without you actually mm. having to sort them out specifically. So last year, July, my dad and I became friends by a sequence of unexpected things that happened. I had a week holiday with him in Turkey. First time I seen him in 20 years, loved him, massaged him, awesome to see him. I just loved him. And you know what? He hasn't changed a bit. But that wasn't the point. Would you mind sharing the point the was, series I see of him. events? Would you, sorry, would you mind um, sharing the series of events? You don't, you don't have so to. So for the very first mind. time, for the very first time, I decided to wish him happy birthday. I'd never done that. And every year he would send me a happy birthday, I'd ignore it. Wow. So I decided, you know what? Stop being an arsehole. Send him a, send him a birthday message. <laughs> So I sent him a birthday message and he responds immediately. He says, I'm so happy to hear they receive this. I just want to let you know, I think it's a bit of a far shot, but the family from Iran are all going to Turkey for a week holiday in four weeks time. And we'd love for you to be there. The family's dying to see you. We haven't seen you for 20, 30 years. We'd love to see you. Cool. I initially say not a chance. No, thanks. <laughs> I'm not going. And then I get a, I get a booking in Italy for a three-day okay. strategy session. Mm. And bada bing, bada bang, the three-day strategy session ends on the Sunday. My family goes on holiday to Turkey on the Monday. They start their holiday on the Monday. So wow. I was in Cape Town. I was being flown by a client to Italy. All I had to do was pay for the flight to Turkey and then back to South, and back to South Africa, the client was paying. So it was just one internal flight or two internal flights I had to book. Yeah. And it ended just before. I was still, nah, I'm not going to go. And then I watched the Tom Cruise interview and Tom Cruise yeah. had a very tough relationship with his dad and okay. on his dad and for 10 years, he didn't speak for his dad and on his 10th birth on his, on his dad's deathbed, his dad requested to see him. And so he decided to go see his dad based on one rule that he made for himself. I'm not going to go see my dad. I'm going to go see a man that it's made some mistakes in his life. Wow. Hmm. And I realized that message was 100% for me, is that i got to stop thinking that he should have been a perfect dad. Like, yeah. it's okay. Yes. I've done well. I'm good. Hmm. It's okay. He was. He hmm. just went through, you know, he was traumatized. Hmm. Like, he didn't understand. Hmm. He was, like, he didn't know. He was unconscious. Yes. So that really changed everything for me, but that could only come from a new frequency state, you know? Hmm. And hmm. so... When I heard that from Tom Cruise, I phoned my dad. I said, I'm coming. And wow. we arrived and it was hugs from the beginning. I just loved on him, bro. I, I loved on him. That's all I did for five days. And I left. I think what I, what I really like about what you're saying about the change of frequency <laughs> is that something that we can do. You know, sometimes it feels like some of the things are out of our control, but that is firmly something that people can do for themselves is change the frequency that they operate on and then see what happens to the rest of life. You know, and I love that that's something you can be in control of. You absolutely can be in control of it, but you know, we've sometimes been duped into thinking we're not in control of it. Mm. 
No, it's so true. It's so true. So yeah. you you mentioned yeah. about you have um, clients and you do strategy and things like that. So what are some of the things that you work with your clients on? And does that have anything to do with like leadership or is it more about preparing for the future? Well, leadership is preparing for the future. It's the same thing, isn't True. it? True. Who's who's implementing who's implementing the the strategy, the leaders, and then the rest of the organization. So it's always about leadership, always about the future, and always about your culture. Because you can't think of one in in unison. You have to think of it as a holistic process, you know, because it all leads into each other. So all my work is is focused on two things: is brain evolution and organizational restructuring and when you right. do these two things mm. you do them in talks and workshops and master classes mm. uh you do you you, you 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 bring out the best in the room in those processes mm. and so this is kind of what i do those two things mm. Mm. okay because i think i was i was wondering because sometimes as an organization you might separate out the for example the tech stack and what technology you need for the future and the kind of the, what they call like the softer skills in terms of the leadership and the that kind of side of things. So I was, I was well, I suppose tech is quite technical. I, I yeah. agree. Like engineering wouldn't be there, but yeah. culture and yeah. leadership and future yeah. strategy. Those are that's a plane that's flying. Tech mm. is aspects of it that has got a very special special speciality needed for it. You know what I mean? Mm. But I think flying the plane at large is those three things it's leadership yeah. it's future strategy leadership and culture and how are you actually swinging between those you know i don't think you can do them apart tech stack mm. totally different obviously okay. that's a different language you know okay that makes literally sense. a different like, language because it sounds like you're quite au fait though with some of the tech things and how they work and understanding what that can do yes and no my my yes and no i mean i'm not techy i'm much more okay. human and strategy okay. And so okay. for me, it's the humans operating the tech, the strategy and the direction of the organization, the mm. questions they should be asking. And that's kind of my sweet spot, you know? Mm. Mm. Okay. So just as we close, my final question for you is, what's a question that no one has ever asked you, but you wish that they had? <laughs> I've heard this, I've heard this, I've heard this at another pod. And even when I heard it on the other pod, I was like, wow, that is a hard question. <laughs> a question that you... Did I want something? I mean, that's a hard one. You should yeah. a question. You should put a question together that leaves me on an up, not on a. Leaves you on an up. Uh, that's a hard but it one. Means hang on. You get to answer the question that no one's ever asked you, but you want to answer. Oh, I know. I know. It's, okay. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Um, okay. Better question. What's a question that you yeah, might yeah. answer that would leave you on an up? <laughs> yeah. Well done. Good in re-engineering <laughs> there. Good re-engineering. Thank you. Adaptability. Look, I think I think the most important thing is finding your space to evolve yourself as quickly as possible. Mm. And it's not really a question in any way. Is the question you should be asking me is, and the only question you should be asking is, how quickly can I change my awareness? How quickly can I bring calm to my heart? How quickly can I heal my past? How quickly can I become adaptable for the future? How quickly can I start to engage with new and exciting mm. things that otherwise would be scary? That's it. That's your formula. Mm. Follow that formula. If you you got to continuously work that formula, it's not slowing down. It's speeding up. So the only mm. question you should be asking me is how do I change my awareness as quickly as possible? That's all I have to be keep doing all the time. It's what I'm doing constantly. Mm. Everything's about what's next. How do I evolve mm. something else? How do I move mm. towards something else? Mm. And this is look, never been to university, never really had a proper job. 
I'm all self-taught. I now teach at universities and organizations. That's what I'm doing. Like, mm. And I think the proof's in the pudding. You're interviewing me. I'm, I don't even mm. know who you are. And today I now start to like you and you're my friend. John, thank you so, <laughs> These so much. These things happen. Yeah. Awesome. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Bye, Good fine. to chat to you. Likewise, I've, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I've enjoyed being challenged in some of my thoughts as well. So that's been really, really good fun. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. My absolute pleasure. And thank you guys for listening and see you on the next episode. Bye. Thank you for watching this episode of the Dynamics EQ Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, flick through our channel and there's loads more that you can watch. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel so that you can hear first when new episodes drop. We'll catch you on the next episode.